0: We have an amazing staff here at Central, and our community life team and our communications team realized that just a sermon on Sunday isn't enough for us to kind of really comprehend the book of John. And so they've created this card. You should have got it on the way in. There's a, there's a QR code that you can scan, and it will take you to our website, to, to a page where you can get all kinds of additional information about what we're studying today. Um, videos, teachings, commentaries, uh, extra notes about this lesson. So if you wanna go deeper this week with than just a 30-minute sermon that you hear on Sunday, please avail yourself to that, and we're gonna do that each week as we go through uh, the Gospel of John. Let's pray this morning. God, thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit that's working in us. Thank you for your presence here right now, God, that you are moving, you are touching lives, you are healing, you are delivering, you are encouraging. And Lord, I, I pray that the Holy Spirit right now would... Open our minds and our hearts to the truth of Scripture. Help us to understand it. Sometimes we read Scripture, Lord, and we just feel like, I just don't, I just don't understand what I'm reading. And yet you, you promised the Holy Spirit would give us a revelation of truth. So help us with that this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to John chapter 2. John chapter 2, you're going, wait a sec, Jeff. We were just in chapter 5 last week. Why are we going back to chapter 2? Well, let me tell you why. Because we are going to, to group together, some themes in the book of John. One of the themes is John talks about seven miracles or seven signs that reveal the the deity of Christ. He talks about, he gives seven I am statements that Jesus gave. And what we're going to do is we're going to go back now to John chapter 2, and for the next seven weeks, we're going to look at the seven miracles or signs that Jesus performed. We're going to get through 99% of the text in the gospel of John. We may just move around a little bit as we do that. So John chapter 2, today we're going to talk about the changing of water Into wine. How are you doing today? Fantastic. Jesus had had this really strange idea. He believed that helping people was more important than keeping rules. He believed that helping people was more important than keeping rules. And that infuriated the Jewish religious leaders because they were rule keepers. Uh, they, they, they wanted to keep the rules, and, and what Jesus did was he went around and he extended grace to people that broke the rules, and that just infuriated the Jewish religious leaders. They were what we call legalists. Legalism means you are obsessed with keeping the rules, but it doesn't end there. True legalists are, are not just happy when they keep the rules. They want to make sure that everyone around them keeps the rules too. They're like the official rule enforcer for, for people. You, you, you might have a touch of legalism in you, even though you don't think you do. You, you might think you're super grace-oriented, but you might be a little bit of a legalist. For example, if, if you're at the grocery store and you're in the express lane, and you, you count the number of items in the cart in front of you, you might have a little bit of legalism. And, and if it's a, a 15 limit per cart, and you're counting and it's 17, You might just kind of under your breath make that comment, oh, I I thought this was a 15-item limit line, (laughs) or I thought this was the express lane, must have missed it, right? (laughs) Or remember when COVID hit and and they had directional signs on the floors in grocery stores, (laughs) remember that? You gave people the stink eye if they were going the wrong way, didn't you? You called them out, right, "Uh, turn around, pal, look at the arrows, You might be a legalist if your desire and goal for retirement is becoming a crossing guard so that you can wear a vest, have a whistle, and tell everyone where they need to go to obey the traffic laws. I mean, that's like your your dream for your retirement. Well, the problem with legalism is not encouraging people to follow the rules because rules are important. Rules keep us safe. Uh, Rules are there to help us. No, the problem with legalism is when you begin to value rules above people. When you begin to value rules and say rules are more important than, than helping people. See, Jesus didn't come to give us a new set of rules. He didn't come to make sure that we keep the rules. Jesus came to give us grace because he knows we're gonna break the rules. Come on, somebody. Jesus valued people above rules. Here's what I want you to walk away with today. Grace values people above rules. This is a story of grace today, and grace values people above rules. If you're in John chapter two, we're gonna begin reading in verse one. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana, of Galilee. Cana is a small village to the to the southwest of the Sea of Galilee and the region of Galilee. And, and G, the, the mother of Jesus was there at the wedding. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. Now we don't know what the connection was for Mary and Jesus and his disciples to be invited to this wedding, but in the previous chapter, in chapter one, Nathaniel decides to follow Jesus. And Nathaniel is from Cana. In Galilee, So it's possible that Nathanael was the connection to be involved in this wedding. And verse three says, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour, the hour of the cross has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever Jesus says to you, do it. How many of you know that's pretty good advice? Whatever Jesus says to do, good idea to keep it. That's just good sound wisdom for life. There were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification. Each pot contained 20 or 30 gallons each. So that's somewhere between 120 and 180 gallons of water. These six water pots indicates this was a large wedding. These water pots to wash people's hands before they ate the meal. At the wedding, So there would be ladles in each, in each pot, each container, and they would, they would draw out some water and pour it over the people's hands to ceremonially cleanse them before they partook of the meal. The fact that there was this much water indicated it was probably a pretty big, good-sized wedding. Verse 7, Jesus said to them, to the servants, fill the water pots with water so they filled them full all the way to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some water and take it to the the head waiter. So they took it to him. When the head waiter tasted the water, which now had become wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who drew the water, they knew what Jesus had done. The head waiter called the groom and said to him, every man at the wedding serves the good wine or the best wine, the rich, deeply fermented wine, first and when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poor wine. In other words, your, your palate is freshest before it drinks any alcohol. Once you've, you've had a few, you loosen up a little bit and um, it doesn't matter that much what, what you're drinking as long as you have something in your hand. But he says, normally they bring out the, the good wine, the best wine first, and then they bring out the diluted wine or the cheaper wine later. But, but you have kept the best wine till now. Verse 11, this beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and he manifested or revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So John uses the word signs for miracles because a sign points to something, a sign directs us. And when John talks about miracles or signs, he says they point to the fact that Jesus Christ is God, God in the flesh. And it says in that verse, verse 11, that Jesus revealed his glory. This is a story about the transforming power of God's grace, changing water to wine. We're gonna unpack that in just a minute. Jesus often violated what's called the tradition of the elders, or the oral law. The tradition of the elders was a set of rules created by the rabbis um, that that helped people, they they thought they were gonna help people to keep from breaking the law. They had 39 categories of these laws. These were rules that went on top of the written law of God. And so what they said was, they said, we are going to build a fence around the Torah. The Torah was the first five books of the Bible called the law, the law of Moses. They said, we're going to build this fence around the Torah, this ridiculous number of laws so people can't even get close to violating God's law. They thought they were helping, but the laws were absolutely ridiculous. There were laws of the Sabbath. There were laws of purification and cleansing. Some of the laws on the Sabbath were, you, you you can't carry anything because you can't do work. You can't exert any energy. So they said, in your home, in private, you can lift things or carry things, move things from one room to another. But if you're in public... You can't carry anything. One rabbi said, you can't carry anything that weighs more than half of a dried fig. In other words, you can't carry anything because that would be working on the Sabbath. They had rules about harvesting. You couldn't plant on the harvest uh, on, on the Sabbath day. You couldn't, you couldn't uh, reap on, on the Sabbath day. You couldn't, uh, you couldn't cultivate this. You couldn't do anything in terms of, of harvesting. So, so Jesus comes along, and, and remember, Jesus values people, More than rules. So he's constantly violating these rules that the the rabbis had set up. So, so Jesus, in, in one story, he heals a man that was paralyzed for 38 years. You would think that was a reason to celebrate. 38 years laying on a mat, unable to help himself, do anything for himself. Jesus heals him, but it's the Sabbath. So he tells the guy, hey, pick up the mat that you're laying on, roll it up, and go home. And so he does. He picks up his mat, rolls it up, and starts doing what? Uh Uh-oh, carrying it on the Sabbath. And the Jewish leaders were furious. He was violating the Sabbath rules because they valued keeping the rules above helping people. Another day, Jesus and his disciples are, are traveling And it was legal if you're traveling and you're coming across grain fields, uh, farmers just expected that the the outside perimeter of the field, they didn't even harvest it for poor people or people that were traveling, they could come and pick some of the grain. Well, this was the Sabbath again. And Jesus' disciples are traveling and they they pick some of the heads of grain and they, they separate the wheat from the chaff and they begin eating the kernels of wheat and guess what the Pharisees, they went ballistic. You're harvesting on the Sabbath. And Jesus is like, dude, we're hungry. We have nothing to eat, and it's the Sabbath. The market is closed. There's no way to get any food. Jesus, at the end of that story, says to the the Pharisees, he says, I want you to learn something. I want you to go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. I want you to care about people more than you care about your rules and sacrificing your lives and all that came with the Old Testament law. Value people more than rules. And this story. So we talked about six stone water pots used for purification, used for the for the washing of hands. These were, these were sacred and holy pots. They had one purpose. What was it? Holding water. Pure water, the the, the priests or or the, the, the rabbis, they had to put what was called living water or spring water into these pots. Pure water, holy water. And what does Jesus do? They fill the pots with water and he turns it into wine. Now there's wine desecrating these holy pots. And Jesus does it because the people that were putting on the wedding were more important than a rule. How about you? Do you value rules more than people parents? Do you value rules more than your kids? Rules are important, but but when push comes to shove, what, what do you value more? Helping people or the keeping of rules. So this story teaches us about grace. I want to share three things that this story I think teaches us about grace and the first is this grace grace absorbs the shame grace absorbs the shame Wedding celebrations in Jewish culture could take up to 7 days because of the the uh, the betrothal agreements remember betrothal and engagement in our culture were really different betrothal in Jewish culture was contractual it was a legal agreement So because of betrothal agreements between the bride and the groom's family and the exchange of money in the dowry and the bride price, this became a legal transaction. And so the the host family, the, the family of the bride, was responsible for providing hospitality for all of the guests for as long as the celebration went on. It was almost like, hey, we've, we've given you these resources and we expect that you're gonna have enough to eat and enough to drink for the entire duration of this marriage celebration. Remember, my son's involved. And so we, we, we are gonna make sure there was, there was a legal element to this. It was contractual. So Mary comes along and they run out of wine. And, and, and Mary intervenes in that, in that situation for two reasons. She wanted to spare this family from social disgrace and shame, and she wanted to spare this family from legal action. They, they, they could have been sued for a misuse of funds, for not properly using the funds they got for, for the wedding. Okay, running out of wine here, it's a big deal. It's not like at, at your wedding reception, you run out of Mountain Dew and you're like, just drink Pepsi. You run out of Pepsi, it stinks to be you, drink water. Sorry, we, we only provided 100 dinner rolls and you didn't get one. Stinks to be you, right? That's not the way it was. This was a, a serious, serious matter. So, so the text says this. When the wine was gone, the, the, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. That statement was packed with meaning. For, for Jesus at this point to provide wine was an act of grace. It was an act of grace because this family didn't deserve it. It was an act of grace because they were negligent. They didn't properly plan. Who knows what went into the the, the planning of that, but they were were in the wrong. And for Jesus to to step into that was was purely an act of grace. They deserved punishment. They, they, They certainly deserved disgrace. And Jesus steps in, and instead of humiliating them, he removes their shame, and he gives them honor. Friends, it's a picture of the cross. This story is a picture of the cross because because we are like the host family. We don't have the necessary resources to fulfill our obligation to the law. We fall short. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And what does Jesus do? Jesus steps in and he makes up for our failure. Jesus steps in and he makes up for our lack of resources. Jesus steps in and he, and he, and he gives us his righteousness when we, when we didn't deserve it. Come on, somebody, that's pretty good news. Because like this family, we were, we were guilty of violating the law. But Jesus at the cross did not only forgive our sin, he removed our shame. He took our shame. In fact, he exchanged our shame that came with sin, and he replaced it with honor. Here's what Paul said in, in Romans chapter 10, verse 11. The Scripture says whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Those who come to Christ not only have their sin removed and their life restored to a relationship with God, but the shame that attaches itself to sin Jesus bore. Jesus was humiliated on the cross. Jesus was crucified naked. Jesus was beaten by the people that he created. Everything about the cross is humiliation on the Son of God. Jesus bore humiliation because he bore your humiliation connected to sin. He not only took your sin, but he carried your shame. And what I found as I minister to people, to Christians especially, many Christians forfeit a God-filled and a God-blessed future because of a shame-filled past. They can't get beyond the shame of, of sexual sin or marital betrayal or pornography or attempted suicide or the inability to provide for their family. You fill in the blank. And we carry this shame with us. And it it locks us up and it keeps us from moving forward with God. And some of you today are locked into shame. And the gospel message is that Jesus came not only to remove your sin, but to take your shame and give you honor. See, the Bible says he takes our unrighteousness, that which makes us unholy, and and fills our lives with disgrace and shame, and he gives us his righteousness. He honors you before the Father. You stand not in a position of shame before the Father because of Jesus, but in in a position of honor before him. Why is this so important? This whole concept of rules and people? Because, friends, if we value rules above people, what's going to happen here as a community, as a church, is when people start struggling with sin, we're gonna push them out, right? I mean, push them out of the church. We keep the rules around here. We obey the law of God. We don't allow that stuff. Do you know the truth, friends? You and I, we break the rules all the time. Come on, somebody. Jesus didn't come to give us a new set of rules or make sure we kept the rules. He came to save us from breaking the rules. We need to become a community of grace, a community that helps to absorb the shame of other people, a community that that values people more than rules, amen? So that people can gather here in their shame, in their brokenness, in their sin, and find healing and find help, because all of us need that. Well, not only did, did in this story, grace absorb shame, but, but grace changes the heart. Grace changes the heart. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. Everything's become new. You are not a patched up version of the old you when you come to Christ. You are a brand new creation in Christ. Your heart's been changed by the Holy Spirit. You start fresh. Here's what the text says. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. So they filled them full, all the way to the top. And he said to them, draw out some water now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. When the head waiter tasted the water, which had now become wine, Jesus told them to fill the water pots. This is symbolic here. It's symbolic of the the law, the, the old covenant, the Old Testament Jewish law. Jesus said, fill them up. Because the fullness of the old covenant, the old covenant in its fullness could never change you. Do you know what the law could do? The law could simply point out that you were breaking it. The the law set a standard of holiness that we could never keep. All the law does is point at you and say, you're a sinner. You covet. You lust. You lie. You cheat. You deceive people. The law simply says you're a sinner in need of grace, but the law can never empower us to change. It can never make us different. It can never help us to not break the rules. It can only punish us when we do. That's the old covenant versus the new. The new covenant means you are a brand new person in Christ. You've been changed. Some scriptures related to that. Romans 7, 6, but now we have been released from the law and the penalty of the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the spirit. We're free from the condemnation of the law, and we live according to the life of the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. Another scripture. Ezekiel chapter 36, God says, I will give you, he's talking about the new covenant, I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Isn't that a great promise? I'm gonna remove the rebellious heart, the hard heart, the heart that doesn't want anything to do with God, the mean heart, spirit. I'm gonna gonna do heart surgery, transplant. I'm gonna give you a new heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations because the law couldn't do that. The the law couldn't give you the ability to follow God's truth. But the Holy Spirit can empower you to do that. Another scripture. But he is a Jew, meaning part of God's people, who is one inwardly, not outwardly, not not by the, the works of the law. And circumcision, which was the cutting away of the flesh, circumcision is of the heart, inward, by the Spirit, not by the letter. The letter of the law never changed anybody. It never never circumcised their heart. But the spirit comes into us when we accept Christ and cuts away the flesh and makes us a brand new creature. When when you become a Christian, you're given a a brand new life in Christ. You see things differently. Your values change. Your mission changes. Your goal changes. And you see people, hopefully, differently differently. You see people now not as rule breakers, but as people that need grace. You're more compassionate toward people, like the Lord is compassionate toward people. You value people above above rules. You want to help people and serve people and and bless people. Your heart changes when you when you come to Christ. See, grace changes the heart. And if you've not had a heart change, you're not in Christ. If there hasn't been a transformation of your life through the Holy Spirit, you're not a believer. You're not a Christian because that's what happens at, at conversion. Well, not only does grace absorb shame, and not only does grace change the heart, but grace accelerates the process. Grace accelerates the process. Let's put that scripture up there. I think this is verse 9 and 10. When the head waiter tasted the water which had become wine and did not know where it came from, although the servants knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man serves the best wine or the good wine or the aged wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poorer or diluted or cheaper wine, but you have kept the best wine until now. Scholars indicate that this type of wine, mellow, aged, rich, potent, fermented, highly fermented, would have taken anywhere in the natural from 10 to 20 years to produce. 10 to 20 years to produce it. How long did it take Jesus? Just a moment, right? Grape juice is essentially 70 to 80% water. So even in the making of wine, in a sense, water is being changed into wine. What in the natural takes decades, something that's brought under the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, can be restored or healed or transformed momentarily. And what I, what I experience with a lot of people in the church is they, they don't understand this principle that under grace, things get accelerated. The process gets accelerated. What did, what did Mary, the mother of Jesus, ask the servants to do? She said, do whatever he says. Did they do it? They did. They filled the pots with water, didn't they? They, they obeyed what Jesus wanted them to do, right? And there's this amazing principle that when you do what the Lord asks you to do, the transforming power of grace begins to work in your life. And I talk with couples whose marriages are shattered, whether it's betrayal or just just, uh, meanness or hurt or whatever it is, and their, their marriage comes to a point where it's so broken and so tattered and so injured They feel like even if this was going to work, I mean, this is going to take forever. This is going to take 30 years to get this thing together. They're missing the point. The point is when you submit your life and your marriage to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, what might take five years or 10 years or 20 years will take considerably less time. The process of restoration, the process of transformation, the process of healing accelerates under the supernatural grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You you may be sitting here today going, I'll never overcome this grief. I'll never overcome this sorrow. I'll never overcome this pain. Well, friend, if you will submit that pain to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, he will transform it in time much less than you're anticipating. That's the miracle working power of grace in our lives. When I first came here to Central, we, we owed... Uh, over five million dollars on this campus. We were in debt. And a- after a couple of years, we chipped away at that, and we, we, we got it down to about five. And, and the elders and, and I and some of our staff said, you know what, we teach people in the congregation they're not supposed to be in debt, and yet we're in debt. And we're not living up to what the Lord is asking us. We're, we're, we're saying, you know, do as I say, not as I do. We need to get out of debt. And so some of us went to a, a Dave Ramsey seminar on getting churches out of debt. It was a great seminar, great principles, great truths. And when we came back and we gave a report, hey, this is a, this is a great program. And, and, I, and I think, you know, if we, if we did this for like three to five years or something, whatever, we could probably raise the $5 million. And they're like, yeah, that's pretty good. And, and, and we said, you know what, we need to pray about this. So I said, let's take four nights, four consecutive nights, and let's just pray together as, as leaders. So, so we did. Monday night, we met in the prayer chapel. And we began to pray, prayed diligently for four nights. At the end of the four nights, I said, guys, what are you feeling? Unanimously, we're not supposed to do the program. All of them said, we we just don't feel like we're supposed to do that program. And I felt like the Lord had given me a a, a word saying that we are not to take our eyes off of ministering to people and put it on money. God wants us to keep our focus on helping people and serving people and not put it on money. And and so we, we felt like the Lord said, just take an offering oh yeah, right, Lord, just take an offering. Like all the money's gonna come in in one magical offering. Well, here's what happened. We, we warned the people. We gave them about six weeks and we said, we're gonna, we're gonna take an offering. I think the debt might've been a little under $4 million at the, uh, under $5 million at that point. And, and we said, just give whatever you can. There's not gonna be any program. There's not gonna be any pledges. There's not gonna be any, no one's gonna call you. This is between you and the Lord. You give whatever you feel the Lord's asking you to give. So we came to that day in May, that offering day, and everybody brought their offerings, and we had had saved some money in the church savings account. We put that into the thing, and and about a million and a half dollars came in. We're like, yeah, a million and a half in one offering. So now we're down to about three million, right? What now? So we just told the people, hey, this much came in. Here's what we still owe. If you want to continue to give toward that, you can. If if you don't, you're you're free. Don't, Don't worry about it. We believe God spoke to us. We we believe we we filled the pots with water like Jesus asked us to do. In December, it was down to $500,000. How? I have no idea except the acceleration of the process by grace. We we raised more in that amount of time than the years before that I'd been there. And and we got to about $500,000, and someone gave me a call and said, Wheels, what do we owe on that thing? I said, about half a million. He goes, done. We're done. Debt-free. We owe nothing on this campus. Because of, the, because of the grace of God, when you, when you do it God's way, when you bring your marriage to God, when you bring your life to God, whatever it is, and you, and you obey him, the, the process of healing, restoration, reformation in your life gets accelerated. I have no idea how that debt got paid off in six months except for the grace of God. And that's what God wants to do in your life. You, you know, Mary had some, some pretty good advice, didn't she? When, when there was a problem at the wedding, she invited Jesus to get involved. What if we did that? What if we, what if we just asked Jesus to get, what if we just said, Lord, we want to submit this to your grace and let you work? So, what's your response this morning? Let me give you a couple of thoughts as we bring this to a close. Maybe your life has never been changed from water to wine. Maybe you need a new life in Christ. Today you can make that decision and you will be changed as you surrender your life to Jesus by the power of grace and the Holy Spirit. Maybe you need to start valuing people more than rules. You've been too much of a rule enforcer and not grace-filled enough. Maybe, maybe you're stuck in shame today and you can't move forward. You need to understand that, that the cross is a shame remover and an honor giver to God's people. Maybe you need to bring something today like these pots and And put it under the power of grace and watch God work in that situation. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to pray. Just just close your eyes. Lord, we come to you this morning and we confess there is a legalistic spirit somewhere in our heart, a spirit that goes beyond just wanting to obey rules. We're obsessed and we're critical of others when they don't obey. Jesus, would you pour grace into our hearts today? God, would you help us to be a grace community, a a community that that helps to absorb people's shame instead of weighing more shame on them for breaking the rules? Father, Father, today, would would you help us to bring to you the areas of life that need healing and restoration and fixing? And do what you say. Do what you ask us to do so that we can see the acceleration of restoration and transformation by grace in our lives. Help us, Lord, this week to be less critical and more grace-filled toward ourselves and toward others in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. You can be seated. So we, we want to we give you an opportunity to walk this out, to demonstrate grace, to, to become someone who, whose life has been changed and you see people differently and you want to help people. So, so long story short, a couple of years ago, we, we lost our pastor at the downtown campus, and many of the people at that time left the church. We did a, a pastoral search for a new pastor for our downtown campus. We, God, God led to us an incredible man, Bill Shepherd, and his wife Anya. Wonderful shepherd, wonderful pastor for that community. Well, then COVID hit, and the, the few people that were coming now stayed home, and so they had an empty building. And we never, as a, as a, as a congregation, as a, as a sister church, we never relaunched. We, we never said, hey, hey we, we need to reboot. We, we need to, to help this congregation get going again. We need to, to bring some momentum to them. And, and Bill and his wife and, and their team have done an amazing job. Great things are happening at our downtown campus. But we feel convicted of the Lord that we need to inject some, some more life. And so we're praying and believing that God would, would bring 100 people from this campus to join that campus here's what we would expect not that you would not participate in anything here on this campus if you want to come to a saturday night worship service or an early worship service here and then go down there that's fine if you want to participate in events and things that go on here at this campus that's great but that you would attend sunday services down there that, that you would that you would get involved in their monthly outreaches reaching into the community, trying to build relationships, and that you would in, get involved in some type of service in the church, children's ministry, ushering, greeting, s- serving in some capacity, that, that you would pray about. And, and, and oftentimes we need to pray, not God, should I, but God, shouldn't I? Why shouldn't I, Lord? Show me why I shouldn't participate. And so on March 28th, we're having a dinner here, a dinner to, to share. Pastor Bill is going to share the vision And we want you to to pray and ask the Lord if if this is something you and or your family need to participate in. We we are one church with two campuses. This is our church down there. And so you you got a card on the way in and it's got a a QR code. You can RSVP. Beyond that, if you want more information, there's a table out in the the foyer uh, with some folks that would love to, to share a little bit about our downtown campus. Take a look at this video.
1: Pettigrew Heights is an area that a lot of people like to just forget about. Forget that it's here in Sioux Falls. Over the years, a lot of the congregations have have gradually moved out of of the Pettigrew Heights area and moved out of the suburbs, including ours here at Central. But there's one person who hasn't left, and that is Jesus. Jesus is still here in Pettigrew. He hasn't forsaken these people. He hasn't forgotten them. He loves them, and He's given His life for them. I see Him taking a bunch of broken people Through his faithfulness and our desire to to worship him together, he's making something here. He's making something happen. He's making a family out of us. We're all different. And he's bringing this group together as a community in a way that I could have never understood or anticipated. I can see God working and taking these things that I bring, that everybody else is faithfully bringing and making something bigger. It's really exciting to be a part of the work that God's doing here at the downtown campus. When we first came down here it seemed like a lot of a lot of chaos and it's funny how I can just see God working through that to where these kids now are coming in and I'm asking questions and, and they're knowing the answers and they're learning and even when I thought maybe, maybe I wasn't giving them the information they wanted or, or, or the, I wasn't giving them enough, God was moving in their hearts because I could just see it every week they'd come back and every time they'd come back. And now I just sit back sometimes and we, the conversations we have are phenomenal in the depth of the conversation we have too. And I know that wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for God and the Holy Spirit working through here. A lot of what I've seen is just the consistency has provided for the kids in the nursery. You know, there's kids that um, you know they're two and a half years old, and we've known them for two of those years. So um, seeing their recognition of us when they come in, and just the hugs, and um, the ability to just tell them that Jesus loves them. There's also been a big impact for our family uh, because we were looking for a way that we could all serve together, and that was. Um, Difficult to come across in the Southwest campus because of the size and coming down here. We've been able to all serve together And that's why we at Central Downtown are here We are here to give a gospel presence of Jesus Christ to this neighborhood and we're here and we're calling you out today to come and Be a part be a part for six months a year something like that where you can come and you can come alongside people, Come alongside the man who's just come out of prison Come alongside the preschool parents who, who, who are just trying to, immigrants, just trying to figure out who, what's America all about. Come alongside maybe even that person who's just kind of lost his way and he's wondering, what have I done? What have I done to my family? What have I done to my life? And is, is there a way out of this? And there is a way out. It's with, through Jesus. And this is what we need. We need people to come in, come alongside them, and share the hope of Jesus Christ with them. We'd love you to sign up so you can be a part of what we're doing downtown. God bless you.
0: So so may you experience the transforming power of God's grace. May your life burst forth with the new wine of the Holy Spirit. May you be aware of not only the Lord's forgiveness, but the removal of shame. And may you value people and walk in a spirit of grace. Amen. God bless you today.